Welcome back to the 12 Sided Guys. We have Matt as Pine. Hi. Scott as Joff. That's me. Jordan as Ebby. Salutations. Sabrina as Nari. Hey there. And me, Paul, as Rand McNally. You know, because I'd be making so many maps. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for that joke. That one was terrible, but I was really proud of it. Anyway, thanks for hanging out with us. Hopefully we make your workout slash commute slash workday slash chilling at home just a little bit better. If you want some more 12 sided guys, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash 12 sided guys. That's one, two sided guys. Patrons can get access to our maps, a wiki, some bonus episodes, and even a little treat from us. Show it off to your friends and get them listening to us as well. That way you can have someone to talk to about the campaign. Aaron recently became a patron, not Aram. He was last week. And Aaron got access to all that sweet, sweet content. In fact, with the addition of Aaron to the Patreon, we've decided that it's about time for another Q&A session. So to all our patrons, say thank you to Aaron and then send in your questions about the campaign so far. If you're not a patron, but have some questions, email them to us at 12sidedguys at gmail.com or tweet them at us. We'll make sure to answer them. If you want to hear those answers, join the Patreon. And I don't normally do this, but I want to give a quick shout out to the entire state of Nevada. You may be called the Silver State, but in our hearts, you're gold. <laughs> if you... <laughs> uh, I appreciate the laughter. Anyway, if you've ever earned job points by sitting around throwing stones at each other, then this podcast is for you. It's the Crystal Codex, episode 38. I was going to say something about Nevada being the cream of the crop, but Silver State, your gold just flowed so much nicer. You know, you're going to offend everybody from Nevada because they're going to be like, we're not California. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> Nevadans are Nevadans, Nevadaites, Nevad, Nevadoids. Nevadians. <laughs> you thought Paul was going to offend them. <laughs> Nevadoids are very... <laughs> <no>. <laughs> They use the same kind of naming convention that we use for gobloids and hobloids, right? Yeah, exactly. It's early in the morning, right before the sun comes up in the glass mountains, the morning after Nari and the boys finish their arduous climb through the uh, snow choked mountains and into the tall heart Valley as Pine regales their new friend, Yastin. So, Yastin, have you ever traveled out of the mountains to Last Chance? Do you know why they call it Last Chance? It's because it's the last place to resupply or turn back before coming through that treacherous mountain pass. What? You did know that? I just didn't give you that time to answer my question, and there was no need for me to explain it to you? Understood. Well... We met an old acquaintance of ours there, a trader named Gerard, who was selling some magnificent items to help us on our journey. He may have even come through here on his travels before, I'm not sure. He tends to turn up all over the place with his trusty woolly ox, Porthos. Have you ever seen a woolly ox? Are they native to these mountains? What? You've never heard of a woolly ox? <laughs> well, it's an enormous four-legged creature covered in 
long, thick hair with two massive horns coming out of the side of its head. It has a cloaca like a bird, and the males lay eggs and... Whoa! It sounds totally made up to you, and some of its biology seems to have been pulled randomly out of the air by some immature deity that wanted to make a joke. Yeah, I'll give you that one. Porthos is weird. Speaking of weird animals, check out these wacky birds. Beekaboos, they're called. My companions purchased them in Last Chance to help us summit the pass. Oh, and Ebby has a caribou. They're all sufficient for the trek, I suppose, but I'll stick with Crumbles here. What? Crumbles seems to be an Aelaton like you have here in these mountains, but he looks different in his coloration and crystalline horn. Yes, he does. He's such a good boy. Aren't you a good boy? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Anyway, once we left Last Chance and got up into the mountain pass, we experienced some very difficult traveling conditions. It took us eight days to make the journey. We were hoping for four days. We're all so exhausted now. It's nice to see a friendly face. I was afraid we'd have to dispatch some hungry beast as soon as the sun went down. What? A pack of falcon wolves has been tracking our scent for the past five hours, and we'll need to take up arms and most likely will be devoured regardless? I'd better wake everyone. We should set a perimeter around our animals. We'll want Ebby's unicorn ready, and maybe we could get Joff in one of those trees to throw that mystical frisbee he's got his hands on. What? The thing about the falcon wolves was just a joke. Falcon wolves aren't even a real thing. I should have seen the look on my face just then. Touché, Yastin. Touché. The end. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nari and the boys. It's now been a couple of days since you guys came out of the mountains. You are riding, let's see, Crumbles, the uh, Aelaton. There is uh, Ebby riding a caribou. And then Joff and Nari are riding these large bird beekaboos <laughs> along this not necessarily worn path. <laughs> bork, bork, bork. <laughs> That's right. Bork, 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 bork. It's not necessarily a well-worn path, but there is definitely a path that you can follow. And um, riding along next to you is Yostin, the tall heart tracker slash warden um, with his antlers riding his kind of gray and black halaton. He is accompanying you guys to the, the town of Woodbridge, which is kind of the, the main settlement um, of the Tallheart clan. So as we're traveling, Nari would definitely want to chat with Yostin, ask him to elaborate a little bit more on, on what he was telling them about the Stormfists and when the last time they saw them was and anything that he knows what's going on. The, the Stormfists, uh, two years ago, they... They didn't come back down out of the mountains when fall came, when autumn struck. And as you know, I mean, being a Stormfist, it gets very, very cold the further up the mountains you go, and it's really unheard of to stay up there, but um, they never came down to, to Winter Home. And Nara, you would know Winter Home is the name of kind of the main uh, settlement uh, of the Stormfist clan in the winter, which is down more in the valley. Um, it's actually next to a lake and it's a lot more comfortable down there in the winter. It still gets a lot of snow, but it's easier to um, hunt game and uh, you know you have your supplies that you've been accumulating throughout the year. And so to not come back down to winter home uh, is very odd. And Yostin says, yeah, they never came down from summer home. That's strange. And, and you mentioned something about building a permanent structure? Yes, they, they've walled off the path up into Summerhome. 
the few of us that have gone up to try to see what's going on and to try to trade with the Stormfists, they won't let us anywhere near. Um, there is a towers, these wooden towers, watchtowers that they warn us not to come any closer. And if we do, then arrows have been shot. And I, I'm sad to say blood has been shed. I'm very sorry to hear that. I'm concerned for my family, obviously, but concerned for the, the valley and relations in general. Well, we I was hoping that maybe you might have some answers for, for my people. I I don't have a whole lot right now, but hopefully soon I'll have some answers. I want everyone to make perception check. Very high difficulty. Difficulty 20. Do we still have disadvantage from exhaustion? No, it's been a couple days. Pine rolled an 11. 16. Joff got a 22. Yeah, Ebby got a 24. As you guys are riding along, um, talking, Pine, you're kind of lost in thought, I imagine. Um, Nari, you're having this conversation with Yostin. Um, neither one of you realize it, but Ebby and Joff, you both, you feel just the slightest tremor. And it's it's kind of hard to tell because you guys are mounted, but you do feel a slight tremor in the ground. What in the world was that? Did anybody else feel that? Yeah, I felt that. Is this an earthquake? Yostin turns his head and he says, you, you felt the ground shake? Did you step on loose snow? No, no. Maybe you're just not used to riding caribou and beekaboos. <laughs> no, I've been on my beekaboo this whole time. You guys didn't feel that? Bork, bork. <laughs> I didn't feel anything, but I've been kind of lost in thought, or so the narrators told me. <laughs> <laughs> Tuxie, Tuxie, what are you feeling? Bork, bork. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best name. Oh, Tuxie. Gosh, that's so funny. Tuxie the Beekaboo. Awesome. Um, Yostin actually says, yes, the... The mountains have been restless. The, f- the closer you get to Stormfist land, the, the more restless it is. Do you think they're hiding something or protecting something up there? I don't know what it would be. I don't know why they would put themselves in isolation and, and stay in one area like that. I have a quick question for Sabrina. Sabrina, Nari had a vision... Oh, gosh, I don't know. At this point, two dozen episodes ago, maybe. Is that something that she shared with the other members of the group? Yeah, I think at this point, anything kind of a little bit unusual, she would at least mention to people. Maybe not talk about like it super in depth, but at least mention. Yeah, because I mean, just for listeners, there was a vision that you had kind of a dream. And when you woke up, you didn't notice it right away, but your tattoo had kind of uh, shattered, right? It had kind of broken. Yeah, no, and we definitely like talked about that. Yeah. Just as a as a refresher for everybody, part of that vision included tremors and your Stormfist families um, up in the mountains. And there was a tremor and they they felt it, but they didn't react to it. You know what I mean? You could tell that they were just used to the earth shaking. I, I would say that him mentioning that the mountains have become restless would probably jog your memory back to that vision. I'll kind of not mention that like necessarily to him, but definitely make note of the fact. 
then you continue on your journey. While we're traveling, uh, Pine will ride up next to Ebby and he'll say, Don't feel so bad, Ebby. Look at those beekaboos behind you. I mean, they look the way they have to sway when they walk. I'd be getting seasick. I think you'd made the right choice with the caribou. You know, I do feel like I've made the right choice. You know, he told me his name. It's Polkin. Isn't that a lovely little name? Polkin. I love that name. It's wonderful. You should hear the wild stories he tells all about being up there in the snow with all the other caribou up there in the high mountains and then getting captured and put in a pen. (laughs) (laughs) And being forced to cart around your wet 300 pound butt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's about right. Does he ever say anything about crumbles? I I mean, we have this connection, but I have the I I kinda get the idea he may be a little standoffish, but I and I really want him to get along with the rest of the group. Oh, you know, I should ask him about that. You know, most of the time he's just kind of mumbling to himself like poor Polkin having to carry around <laughs> these people, and poor Polkin never gets to see his people ever again, and poor Polkin will probably die alone. You know, things like that. <laughs> Oh, Polkin, what a, what a joker. He's he's so silly. <laughs> oh my gosh. Pine, Pine is just going to be like, oh, I'm sorry, I asked. And then ride kind of get lost in thought again. <laughs> oh man, that's great. All right. Yeah, you guys continue on your journey. You're kind of following this river. I don't know if you guys remember, but last time I talked about this river that kind of comes out of the valley and goes, kind of cuts through the mountains back and heads towards... Um, towards Arkelvy and Deep Lake. Um, You guys are kind of going up this river through the valley. Um, Every once in a while, you have to kind of uh, ford across like a a smaller little uh, tributary, a little stream that feeds into this river. Um, But after four days, because you guys were pretty tired, your going has been a little bit slower than it would have been. After four days, you come around a bend in the river and the trees kind of clear out and you can see up ahead there is a collection of houses and um, kind of huts, long houses, that kind of thing uh, on both sides of this river. And you can see that across the river, there is a wood bridge. And Yastin kind of motions to the, to the town and he says, welcome to Woodbridge. Well, I'll give them credit for ingenuity of the naming there. <laughs> yeah, I think I understand their naming conventions. Practical people. The town's called Woodbridge. They're conventions. They're not. They're not super complicated. Pine. <laughs> do we just come in with you, or do we need to wait outside to be presented, or how does this work? I will. I will speak for you. You can come with me. I'm sure the elders will wish to speak with you, though. Okay. All right. As you guys approach this collection of houses, you can see that there are people moving about. They're dressed in furs and and, you know, warm clothes, um, thick boots. You can see that closer to the river, the grass kind of it, it disappears. It, it's all been trampled down into mud. You can see that they are like um, fishing in the river. Uh, they have um, a like a smithy where they're um, beating some um, some iron or some or some copper or something, some kind of metal work is happening here. Um, you can see there are some fields that have since been harvested. And you can see that there's a couple of watchtowers uh, kind of uh, spaced around this collection of houses. And um, in the center of town, you see two kind of unique uh, things. 
you see a large grove of evergreen trees right in the center of this collection of houses. And then um, off to the west, you see from this distance, it looks like um, some kind of a large wooden statue. Um, it's hard to make out um, any details unless somebody wants to try to make an investigation check um, at this distance as you're approaching. Pine rolled a nat 20 for 20. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Joff got an 11. Nari got a 15. And Ebby got a natural one. As you guys are approaching, Matt, real quick, what are the deities for Menarest? So they um, they worship Cadriel, the 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 um, deity of knowledge, uh, and in and all of their aspects. They worship Lord Moshe and Lady Artarian uh, over who are gods, uh, the Lord and Lady of Nature, and then they also worship the Lord and Lady of justice of law so with your natural 20 even at this distance um nari you would know this with your 15 just because you've been through here before but but um pine you actually you can kind of see this statue and you can just tell by the way that it is sitting on its throne uh the throne looks like it's made up of like vines and natural kind of limbs it looks like a statue of lord moshe sitting on a throne made of vegetation okay and nari you would you would probably have known this anyway, having been through here before. So um, Pine will actually, as we're, as we were writing up, uh, Pine will look, look to Ebby and refer to him as Moshe Zor. Look, they worship Lord Moshe here as well. What? Wait, what was that? <laughs> Ebby with his natural one on investigation was just listening and staring at Polkin as they were walking. <laughs> he complained so loudly. <laughs> They worship Lord Moshe here. Oh. That statue, that's Lord Moshe. Well, I, you know, I suppose that makes sense, of course, right? With the, with the mountains. Although I would have thought that perhaps they might have worshipped something more so, like, related to the sky or the stars being this high up. But I suppose that makes sense. The earth is certainly strong in these parts. I can feel its vibrations. And just with your, uh, with the time you've been spending with Yostin, um, Yostin Tallhart, you, you know that he, uh, he seems to, uh, really have an affinity for the woodlands, right? Like, um, any chance he gets to kind of ride through the forest, he just seems to be more relaxed and more comfortable. Um, the Tallharts are definitely more of a very connected to like the trees and the forests, almost in like an, an elvish type of a, of a feel to them. Nari will kind of write up and, and kind of eavesdrop in and, and say, we Stormfists especially, we we worship Lady Belra. It's, she'll say that to Ebby um, in regards to his question. We definitely worship the gods that control the weather. That's, that's kind of important to us up here. That would make sense to me. As you are looking at this statue, you see that it is probably, gosh, 20 feet tall. And it's sitting. So... If Moshe was to stand up off of his throne, he would probably be 30 feet uh, tall. He's, this is a very large, carved statue. As you approach the city of Woodbridge, you see kids kind of running around. You can see, you can tell that they're children because they have just like little nub of horn, of antler. You know, little rounded, almost like still covered in the velvet. Little antlers uh, popping out. Just as you watch these kids, they just seem very like 
active, very spry, just like running and jumping and playing and never sitting still, very just bundles of energy. The adults seem a little bit more reserved and more stoic almost. And uh, you can see that like uh, Yastin with his, he's a little bit more of the stoic kind of calm demeanor. Um, you can see that that's, that's seems to be a trend that runs through um, the adults in the Tallheart uh, clan here in, in Woodbridge. Um, as you approach though, you can see people are looking your way and you know, you see some of the kids start to come closer to kind of see what's going on. You see other kids kind of run back and, and hide behind, uh, behind uh, parents or um, you see uh, adults coming out of their homes with, you know, weapons in hand, not necessarily like aiming them at you, but you can see that they've got their bows ready, you know, like maybe across their back. You can see people like leaning on spears, um, eyeing this group uh, warily. And as you uh, kind of come into this cluster of houses, Yastin kind of holds up his hand and he says something in Ustranian that, um, you know, uh, Pine and Ebby don't understand, but Nari and Joff, you guys understand it perfectly well. And basically what he says is, these are my guests and they have safe passage through Tallheart land as long as I am with them. And you can see as he says that people with their, with their weapons, they kind of lose interest a little bit in, in what you guys are, are doing coming into town. He takes you to that grove that's in the center of town. And he, he says, I must leave you for a short while. I must introduce you to the elders. Thank you. We, we appreciate uh, you taking us through the woods like that. Yes. What should we absolutely not do while you're here? He says, don't start a fight. Okay. Do we have to stay here or can we, can we look around a little? You can look around. That should be fine. D don't wander far. If, if the elders are willing to, to gather to speak with you, then it would be considered a great dishonor if you were late. Okay. Okay. Of course. And then he, he heads off more. Uh, he actually goes into the grove of trees. As you guys are looking around, you see different houses. You can see there's like a, a blacksmith who's, he, you, he was eyeing you guys at first, and then he's kind of lost interest. He's going back to, to working some kind of, uh, looks like he's working on like arrowheads or something, um, something very, very small. You can see that there are like not stables, but pens where um, there's a couple of alatons. You see some caribou that are being uh, being kept here as mounts and as uh, as kind of beasts of burden. Um, but yeah, you see uh, adults and kids kind of going around doing their doing their normal normal lives. So, what would you guys like to do? A uh, quick question for you, Paul. Yes, is this an agrarian society? Do they have like fields and things of that nature? Yeah, as you guys were approaching, you could see that there were some fields um, and it looks like they've already been harvested. So they do have some farming, but a lot of their culture is just not that they don't, you know, like to farm, but a lot of their culture is just, you know, hunting and kind of being off on your own, you know, just kind of going out into nature, um, kind of a very um, secluded. I was going to say quiet lifestyle, but watching these kids uh, run around and play, you can tell that. It's not probably quiet when the kids are around. Does that make sense? Probably why they like to go off and be secluded. It's because all the kids. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Tell Maybe. me about it. No. <laughs> but it's almost like as you're watching them, it's almost like something happens at puberty. You know, um, all of a sudden their antlers start to get, and this is this is male and female, um, their antlers start to get more sharp and larger. Yeah, their antlers become more useful. Like they, you can see that they could actually like even uh, fend, um, fend off attackers with their antlers. 
Whereas uh, the the kids with their velvet um, their velvet little nubs are just kind of little balls of energy, just uh, jumping around and playing. And it seems like they don't have a care in the world. Got it. Well, I'd like to investigate the um, the shrine a little bit, if possible. Okay. Pine will, while Ebby's doing that, Pine would like to go kind of see what the blacksmith got going on. Uh, yeah, Nari will go with Pine and kind of, you know, greet him and see if she can kind of use the fact that she's another member of the mountains to get some good answers from him. And then Joff, what are you going to do? Joff is going to stay where he's at. He's going to dismount from his beekaboo, just feed it, and he's going to sit down and, and start writing some thoughts. Gotcha. By the way, Joff, I meant to ask you, Pine shouts over, what did you name your beekaboo? I named him Feathers. Feathers McGraw. <laughs> feathers McGraw. <laughs> when you say Feathers McGraw, your beekaboo says, fork, fork, fork. And Abby, you instantly know, just because you can understand. Feathers McGraw is very embarrassed by that name. <laughs> but you don't have to tell Joff that. Or less than embarrassed by the mustache. <laughs> Ebby hears it and it's all like, the mighty Harpagos has been reduced to a pack animal. <laughs> Lamentations and woe unto me. <laughs> exactly, this regal creature. I bet you're really fun to take disease, my dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, Ebby, we'll start with you. As you go over and you start to investigate, kind of look around this uh, statue, you can see uh, as you approach that there are like um, offerings laid around the base of this of this statue. Why don't you go ahead and make kind of a, either a perception or an investigation check? I'll even let you make a religion if you want to. Okay, um, I I would have loved to do either of those ones, except I already rolled an investigation and got a five, so <laughs> I'll stick with that. Okay, um, as you're walking around, it looks like it's um, the craftsmanship of this statue looks really, really good. As far as uh, you know, the the detail as you get up closer, you can tell that there was a lot of work put into this. Um, even like the the lines in like the robe and things. It's it's also carved with decorations like swirls and leaf patterns and things. It's just a very well done statue. And as your mind thinks back to, if you recall, way back in episode three, when you guys were at the shrine of Moshe and there was that throne, it looks like that throne, this statue of Moshe would fit perfectly on that throne as well. Almost like it's the same size throne. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, so kind of same dimensions, which would indicate to me that maybe crafted by the same people or something of that nature. Possibly. Or maybe the statue gets up and wanders from shrine to shrine and sits around <laughs> at different ones at different points in its life. Exactly like that, but and the statue looks exactly like the Abraham Lincoln Memorial. That's, <laughs> that's what I want to get out of my head, dude. The other thing, too, is like it's actually Lord Moshe. <laughs> just like getting up and walking <laughs> to each place okay we have to stop talking paul is freaking out right now <laughs> you guys i'm scratching that notes left and right <laughs> no no uh yeah so that's what you kind of notice about the about the the shrine and about this this statue nari and pine you guys head over towards the blacksmith the blacksmith looks older in fact uh, he's got gray hair his antlers are huge you can tell that 
in his younger days, he must have been in a battle or something because his left antlers actually are quite a bit smaller than the right side, almost like he he got some of his antlers hacked off or something. And they, and they didn't grow back the same size, if that makes sense. So he's a little bit kind of lopsided to the right. But he is pounding away on um, these little metal um, arrowheads. And as you approach, he says in Ustranian that only Nari can understand. He says, can I help you? Yes, uh, me and my my friend here are are traveling up to visit my family up in the Stormfist uh, Valley, and I was just uh, just wondering if you had heard anything about about their whereabouts and about what's going on. It sounds like there might have been some trouble between y'all. He sets his hammer down and he folds his arms, and again in Ustronian he says, "Oh, we know exactly where the Stormfists are." Up in their summer home. He kind of looks up at the, he looks um, kind of north and um, west towards the Stormfist part of the valley. And you can see in the very far distance, you can see kind of the mountains at the end of the valley. And he kind of looks off in that direction. He says, yes, they're up there. Any idea what drove them up there? He picks up his hammer and starts hammering again. He says, nope, and I don't care anymore. Pine will say, Abla Almerian. <laughs> he looks over at you and he goes, Almerian? A little. So I see you're making arrowheads. Do you make any, do you do any other um, larger work? See, and I'm going to pull out both of my swords that I have. I'm like, see, I, I'm a swordsman. I'm, I'm not in a threatening way, but just like with the blade down, holding them by, you know, um, Almost handing the hilt to him kind of thing. Exactly, yeah. I'm a, I'm a swordsman and I'm, I'm, I'm looking for good quality. He, um, he kind of eyes you, uh, squints one eye. He turns to Nari and he says, is he asking if I can work on these weapons? Yeah. He reaches out and grabs both your swords from you. Great, <laughs> <laughs> and, he starts, and he starts looking at them. He starts kind of, kind of uh, swinging them in the air a little bit to see... I'm like, careful, that one will whip back at you if you're not careful. <laughs> he, um, he's, he's kind of whipping that, uh, the sharp wit around real, real fast. Um, and he spins your officer's saber. And you can see you get a little grin on his face. And he kind of starts nodding. And then he turns around and he hands them back to you. And then he turns to you, Nari, and he says, tell him that it would be an honor for me to work on such fine weapons. I'll communicate that to Pine. What, what would he have me do? What can he do? I mean, the, the, the two completed swords. Could he... Could he combine the two? He's holding the swords in his hand and he's kind of like looking at you. He's, he's trying to puzzle out what you're saying. And then he takes the two swords and he kind of puts them together in one hand. I guessed it. <laughs> and he kind of... He's, he's shrugging. He's like... He's looking at you like... Like, huh? I'll translate that. And I, and I give him a big old thumbs up with a big smile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. And then he uh, he turns to Yunari again and again. And he says, I can work on these, but it will cost some money. I, I would assume so. Shoot, I'm broke. <laughs> so here's the deal. Um, uh, the work is going to cost money. The materials are not. So really, all you're paying for is his work. So if you could pay him 50 gold pieces, we can figure something out. We can do that for sure. 50, yeah, I have 50 gold pieces and I'll, I'll pull out the 50 gold pieces. How long will this take? Because I'm, I mean, we're meeting with the elders and I have no idea how long we can stay in town and we're kind of moving on. 
he's he's listening to you he's kind of shaking his head and then he just kind of puts his hand on the anvil and he just kind of like uh swats all the arrowheads off of off of his workstation and he puts the two swords up there and he's just like and and he turns to nar and he says tell him that i will start now and i can be finished by morning should be done by morning is uh what he says awesome so okay uh pine will kind of point to his officer's saber and like kind of uh you with his hands kind of demonstrate the shape of it and be like basically trying to say this is the shape that i like right you, you point to yours and you go this and you give the thumbs up good this good and then you point to the whippy one and you say this eh, not so good thumbs yeah. down right well wavy hand yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> okay Awesome. Okay. Yeah, he he kind of nods and then he he gives you a little little like bow of his head. All right. Joff, you are staying back towards Oh, and now we've disarmed your paladin. That's fantastic. Okay, let's see what we can get trouble we can get into I now. I have a bunch of knives. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joff, as you are sitting there kind of waiting with um uh Feathers McGraw, just kind of uh writing in your journal. <sighs> I'm just going to call him Feathers, by the way. But anyway. <laughs> Yostin uh, comes up to you. He uh, he comes out of the out of the woods and he says, comes up to you and he says, uh, the elders would like to speak with you. They they have some words of advice and they have some questions. Well, I'm assuming you mean the entirety of my group. Let me go and get them. Yes. And please uh, don't keep the elders waiting. And then he goes back into the grove of trees. Okay. I'll run around and and gather the party and uh, bring them back to the grove. You must gather your party before venturing forth. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) At this point, Ebby is climbing uh, 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 Moshe's statue to get a better look at the face or something. I don't know. Oh, man. I just had a flashback (laughs) to when uh, Nari specifically said to... um, be, be respectful. <laughs> no. <laughs> and then, and now, now Abby is sitting on Abraham Lincoln's lap. <laughs> you know, when you said Abraham Lincoln, my first thought was Pinky in the Brain, where Brain builds the, the hat for the, the Lincoln Memorial so that he can talk like he's Abraham Lincoln. Does anyone remember that? No. I do, but we're twins. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You guys gather back up and you see this grove of trees and uh, there's nobody outside waiting or anything, but you did see Yostin kind of go in amongst the trees. I'll kind of wait for Sabrina to take point and follow right behind her. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm for sure going to follow. As you guys w- wander through the trees, it's actually pretty thick, but you can, after a while of wandering through the trees, you can see that in the middle, there is some kind of a clearing. Um, you know, it's like 30 seconds of wandering through the trees. You come to this big open clearing and in the center there is a large like we're talking large like a 15 foot long and 10 foot wide fire pit and there is a a large fire roaring and sitting around the fire pit there are five intricately carved wooden chairs and sitting in those chairs you see these huddled figures they are shriveled with age they are bundled up under countless robes and furs keeping warm keeping comfortable the antlers on their heads are huge they seem to be almost weighted down by these antlers um, and they are so bundled up that you can't really tell features you can't tell 
you know, male from female or um, hair color or eye color, anything. But you see these five figures sitting around uh, this fire and behind them, back in the trees, you see Yastin and he sees you guys approach and he makes eye contact with you guys. And then he kind of nods and he turns away. He turns around and walks away and leaves you alone in this clearing with these five elderly Paul Hearts. Uh, Nari will kind of walk up and, and center herself and give a little bow and say, thank you for, for having us in your space. We appreciate you sharing your fire. You see one of them kind of nod at you. And then another one across the way says in a voice that it just sounds old. The voice just sounds old, ancient. And it says, tell us of the storm fists. Why do they hide themselves away? And this is in Almerian. I wish I knew that's why I've come home. I haven't been home in a few years, and I, I heard stories that the Stormfists hold themselves away, and I wanted to come home and see see what that was about. Another one speaks up from across the, across the fire and says to you, Nari, specifically, your mountain is unsettled. The Stormfists neglect their lands, and their lands reject them in turn. I, I can feel that. And then somebody else on the other side says, we can all feel it under our feet. Yes, I have no excuses, and I need to explore this, this further. And then uh, another one speaks up from at the far end, and he says, with no Stormfists in the valley, we have new neighbors on our borders. Who might, who might that be? They don't answer you. A different one says, Tallheart lands are protected, Stormfist lands are not. Winterhome has new residents. And you would know Winterhome is the, the town of the Stormfists that's down by the lake that is where the majority of the Stormfist clan would, would uh, survive the winter. It's a little bit lower down the mountain um, and easier to survive the, the cold nights. Well, it's a bit unsettling that you would so easily give away our home, but I appreciate you letting me know, and I can understand why you, you had to do, to do that. Another one speaks up and says, it was not our home to protect. And then another one says, you should speak with your people, your family, your parents. I plan on doing that. As soon as possible, to be honest. And then um, another one, they keep bouncing. It's like almost like one will start a thought and then another one will finish it. Um, another one says, we will escort you through our lands. We will see you to Stormfist land safely. But there our help ends. And as that one is talking, one of the other ones instantly says, the wind, the leaves, the green lord speaks again. and all gets quiet. You can see the one that said that last line. He's the one that sits across the fire. He or she, you can't tell, sits across the fire. The other heads all turn towards that elder and that elder slowly gets to his feet and suddenly you can hear through the trees, the, the wind begins to pick up, it starts blowing in an easterly direction so from the west side of, of the valley through the forest, 
through this little grove of trees um, off towards the east. And you can hear the rustle of leaves and the wind whipping through this grove. And then this elderly tall heart who stood up says, the Lord of wood speaks from afar of things to come, of things to end. And his unknowing avatar now comes with nature's end in hand. He comes with hope and not alone a fist of storm and shattered band, a royal line without a throne, a blade at waist and stick in hand. The ancient magics buried deep within Pavantis's youngest child. The wounds, though closed, begin to weep, her very core, with love, defiled. The cure has worked until our day, now barriers begin to break. An angel trapped his prison fades, every time the ground does quake. What was to be may yet hold sway, if the angel has his say. And then the wind stops blowing, the leaves stop rustling, and the elder sits down, rests his head against his chest, and hard to tell, but you're pretty sure, falls asleep. Slow, gentle rise of the chest and shoulders. The other elders look at him, and then they all turn their heads to look at you four. Could you say that again? I wanted to write that down. <laughs> it sounds inevitable. <laughs> no response. So Pine has been actually very observant watching this group of elders. I know they've been probably working together for a long time, finishing each other's sentences, but there's something mystical about this. So Pine would like to use his trained senses. Okay. The off chance that maybe one of them is a celestial fiend or undead, or if there's a hallow spell in effect here. Celestial fiend or undead. Correct. My other guess is Faye, but I don't have that ability. You kind of open your senses. You, you start to peer. You start to rack your brain with all that training that you got in the Minories military. For some reason, learn how to tell if you're a devil or an angel or whatever. Yeah. You don't detect celestial fiend or undead. Okay. Did you all get that? Did you hear? I think that was um, very pointed toward us. <laughs> yes, I would say so. As they're all like staring right at us. <laughs> they are very much just staring right at you. If what they said, if I'm understanding it correctly, it sounds as though the angel perhaps had been imprisoned for a time, but with each of these tremors that we felt, the prison grows less strong. That means the prison is probably in these mountains. Pine will kind of look toward the elders and he will he'll uh he'll say I'll do the Menorese salute, um, which is, you know, three taps on the breastplate and then three fingers kissed into the sky. And he'll say, I believe I am the sword that's wasted with a stick in hand. And I'll kind of motion with my cane. They look at you. Correct me if I'm wrong, everyone. A, a thought has occurred to me. When we were at the library of Lord Cadriel and we saw that do you remember that globe, the depiction of Pavantis? Was there a youngest child? <gasps> the glass mountains weren't there. The glass mountains could be the youngest child. They could be. Geology's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that strata. 
<laughs> it's amazing. It's beautiful. But what if the glass mountains are either the youngest child or the wasn't didn't they say something about something was weeping like the a wound on Pavantus was weeping? Yes. What if well, what if the glass mountains were created almost as a prison for for the angel of unity? I mean, I think we would have noticed if there was just an angel hanging out. Perhaps deep inside, though. Are we are we saying also that the angel of unity is the same thing as the angel of inevitability? I mean, it's never been explicitly said, but I've been kind of operating under that assumption. That's that's what I've been assuming as well. Agreed. All I know is we got to get up there in those mountains. Question for for Jordan. Would you have shared your most recent vision conversation with uh, Neam, or is that something you're keeping close to the chest? Um, I probably had initially kept that one close to the chest. Okay. All right. Well, maybe we need to have more conversations away from prying eyes. And uh, he'll kind of look back over <laughs> at these old people just staring us down. Yeah. The only motion is their breathing. And four of them are basically... Okay, make a make a quick um, perception check. Um, anybody who wants to. Oh, you know we're all going to do it. <laughs> Nobody's ever said, "Nah, I don't want to do one." <laughs> nineteen. Okay, sorry, Nari, you got nineteen. Awesome. Joff got a twenty-five. Oh my god. <laughs> Ebby got a fourteen. Mine got a twenty. Oh my goodness, Joff, you uh, and Nari and Pine. Um, you all notice right away that one of them is asleep. The other four are all breathing in unison. Nari will kind of step up, do like a little half bow, and then just kind of start to slowly walk away. Again, if we could get that in writing, we'd love it before (laughs) we leave town. (laughs) I think they've got a hive mind thing going. Would you like me to read it again for the podcast listeners? Yeah. Okay. I'll read it without the old man uh, quiver. Okay. The Lord of Wood speaks from afar of things to come, of things to end. And his unknowing avatar now comes with nature's end in hand. He comes with hope and not alone, a fist of storm and shattered band, a royal line without a throne, a blade at waist and stick in hand. The ancient magics buried deep within Pavantus's youngest child. The wounds, though closed, begin to weep. Her very core, with love, defiled. The cure has worked until our day. Now barriers begin to break. An angel trapped, his prison fades. Every time the ground does quake. What was to be may yet hold sway if the angel has his say. Yeah, I don't know, guys. I'm feeling pretty good about my, my thoughts there. I, I agree. So Nari has is leaving the, the clearing, right? Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. I'm back in the way. I'm kind of gesturing for y'all, but you can do whatever you want. Pine wants to get out of this creepy place. <laughs> A quick question for everyone. Um, before I leave this clearing here, when when do we want to head out and start heading towards the storm fists. Do you think we have a day or so? I guess question for Paul, what time of day is it that we are currently at? 
it's probably around noon and you guys are going to have to have a day anyway because pine doesn't have any weapons right oh i can make do (laughs) (laughs) don't wait on my account got it well ebby's gonna turn to the guys and say i i feel compelled to do something um for these people and in honor of these disciples of lord moshe if you'll permit me the rest of the day i may stay here in this grove for a time and um basically what ebby wants to do is he's gonna he wants to do so the spell plant growth the third level spell plant growth yeah there's two options one is to cast it using one action and then causing a bunch of the plants to overgrow in then like a certain radius um the other is if you cast it over an eight hour period you enrich the land and all plants in a half mile radius centered on that point within range become enriched for one year and the plants yield twice the normal amount of food when harvested wow and so i kind of want to do this almost as an offering and a thank you to the wisdom that they've given us awesome very cool so everybody else is going to leave ebby there pine will say to ebby growing up i was also a, you know i learned of of the lord and lady of nature i um if you have something to do here that's that's great i think i'm going to go to the shrine and Maybe try to reconnect as well. It seems uh, seems maybe I need to go back to my Bible camp days as a youth. <laughs> no, please don't. It seems I should maybe reacquaint myself with the uh, with the worship of Lord Moshe. His name continues to pop up. All of a sudden, Pine's wearing a DC Talk t-shirt. <laughs> no. I think I should just reacquaint myself with the worship of Lord Moshe. So Pine's going to go spend some time at the shrine itself. Cool. If what that man said was true, Ebby, you might be an avatar for Lord Moshe. I think that you might be correct. It was eerie and uncanny, the, uh, the knowledge that they seemed to have. The other thing that's a little off-putting to me is he... He said that you bring nature's end in your hand. And the only thing I can think of is that crystalline disc. And I don't know what that means. Neither do I. Well, they said it was a failsafe, right? I believe so, yeah. So if the plan was to imprison here in the Glass Mountains, then this key would unlock it. This failsafe. If their plan had failed, if their plan was was not working as it should, then it was our only hope. So maybe it can be used to secure the lock, or maybe our path lies in unlocking it altogether. All things I think that we need to ponder on. And I think I shall do that on the lap of Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Okay, so we know where Pine's going to go. We know where Ebby's going to be. What's Nari and Joff going to be up to? Honestly, at this point, Nari would probably just go back to wherever they're kind of staying and just sort of wait it out. Yeah. Okay. Um, as you exit the the grove, you were kind of the first one to kind of turn around and start walking out. Um, you see that Yastin is there waiting for you. 
as you as you come out, he says to you, Nari, he says, you don't need to tell me what they said, but I think it's good that they met with you. Come, let me take you to my home. You're my guests. I appreciate it. Thank you, Yasin. And he takes you to a a, a, a small, like two room kind of hut. Um, it's got a little like uh, a little table and a like a cooking area on one side. Then there's a, a wall with a doesn't even have a door. It has like a curtain hung um, kind of like if you're thinking like Witcher three. Sometimes those those small little uh, huts out in the in the woods and stuff, basically like that. And so there's a, a sleeping area as well. Um, and he he takes you there and he kind of shows you around a little bit. And then, Joff, what are you going to be doing? Um, I'll follow with Nari and, and go to the house as well. Okay, awesome. Yeah, same deal. Um, you can kind of see around his house. He doesn't have a lot of a lot of uh, like worldly goods. You see a lot of like um, um, animal pelts. You see um, like his he's got a bed and it's covered with like furs and things like that. It looks like it's all stuff that maybe he um, hunted himself and has, you know, uh, um, treated um, into, you know, blankets and covers for himself. But yeah, it seems to be a, a relatively simple um, life. And it does look like he lives here alone. He is probably a bachelor. And then, um, Pine, you are heading over to the statue of Lord Moshe. I just want you to make either an investigation or a religion check. Okay. Uh, so Pine just rolled a 10 with no pluses to it. Um, as you are sitting there, you also are just kind of looking at this statue of Lord Moshe, and you can't help but think of the uh, of the the intricate designs and just the work that went into this statue. It does look very, very um, um, well crafted. Um, somebody or a group of people put a lot of love and effort into this statue. And as you're looking at it, you can't help but think back to your time in Menarest, where you would see other depictions of Lord Moshe, and this is probably the most beautiful one you've ever seen. Does it match the the throne that he's sitting on? Like, does it the, the the same amount of detail? Yeah, seems to be okay. Well, thinking back to as well the shrine of Moshe that we we ran into up on the way up to Mount Tabor, Pine will look around to kind of see maybe where the statue is looking. Okay, and like kind of trace its eye line and like look to see if you can if if it's looking anywhere in particular. It is looking directly at the grove of trees where you just were. Okay. As you inspect its face, you see also that it appears that its mouth is open like it's speaking. Oh. I'll have to ask Ebby if he noticed if the mouth was open earlier. With Ebby's bad investigation, he probably wouldn't have noticed. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, I, I think that Pine will just kind of, like, he's not going to kneel. He'll, he'll just kind of, like, sit cross-legged on the, uh, on the ground looking up at the... Uh, Looking up at the statue, and he'll kind of he'll he'll say out loud in Menores, he'll say, "Lord Moshe, you are one of the deities of my youth. I haven't thought much on on religion, on the gifts and bounties that that you and the other lords and ladies of balance have provided me throughout my life. But it would seem that now my fate is completely entwined with your will." I ask you to to guide me, to guide Abby. I mean, Abby knows Abby knows you better than I. Guide him, help him to lead us, to understand what what it is that we can do to to save 
your creations to help heal this world. And Pine will end that prayer and kind of sit there in meditation. Yeah, what's your perception? What's your, what's your passive perception? Passive perception is 13. You feel a slight stirring against your kind of the hair on your neck, like a little breeze blows past your neck. And that's all. Okay. Ebby, you are in this grove. You are doing this uh, eight hour kind of commune with nature, right? Um, as you are doing so, the elders sit in their thrones and watch you and do not move. And the one who is sleeping remains asleep the entire time. What do you envision with this spell? Like what kind of, what, what do you imagine happens here to this, this uh, town of Woodbridge? Yeah. So the way I picture this kind of going down, I picture Ebby kind of getting down on his, on his knees and then kind of shoving his hands into the earth next to him um and then i imagine kind of this green magical aura starts to kind of emanate kind of starting with the along the cracks of kind of his metallic chest piece and and curious curass however you want to say it <laughs> you'd ask what well, hey yo i believe um, it's cuirassu yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Anyway, uh, and then I, I picture his eyes just kind of like erupting in this very bright green kind of glow. And um, even though it's late in the year and things are kind of starting to, to you know, go dormant for winter, I imagine a bunch of plants growing up right along where his arms are kind of thrust into the ground, they start to kind of grow up and these plants start kind of wrapping themselves around his forearms and up on his upper arms as well. And while the plants aren't going to, you know, break from the reality that is, you know, the season that they're in, there is a vitality that seems to kind of, you know, vibrate through emanating from Ebby out in all directions Limbs that were weak or maybe seemed broken start to kind of thicken and are healed, even though the leaves are still changing colors. And even though, you know, autumn is rapidly waning, the plants are just being fortified significantly. Perhaps some of the lichen starts to take on a fresh hue of like green or some of the moss looks to be more vibrant than it was previously. But the hope is that as spring rolls around, this area will be incredibly verdant and full of life and will have kind of that blessing of nature on it. That's awesome. That's cool. That's a great use of that spell. Um, yeah. So you stay there. So it's like, you know, I think I said a little bit like, like noon, maybe a little bit after afternoon. Um, you stay there till well past dark. And the whole time, these elders are watching you. The one never waking, the four never moving, the fire never getting smaller or bigger. And after eight hours, you're done. At this point, I imagine Joff and Nari and Pine have all kind of settled in at Yostin's house for a meal and to kind of, you know, uh, get some good rest. We're playing categories. Ooh, yeah. 
And you guys also have books to read. But scategories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, a boy's name that starts with R. Rob Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> there you go. Two points. All right. Abby, you finish. You finish this. As you um, kind of pull yourself free of these plants that have grown up around you um, and you collect yourself, um, you're kind of, I imagine you're kind of looking down at the ground for a second. You feel a hand on your shoulder. Yeah. I mean, I'll turn around and see who's touching me. You see the four elders that were watching you are still sitting there watching you. The one that was asleep is now standing next to you with his hand on your shoulder. His other hand, you can see it's wrapped up in gloves, but you can see a slight tremor in the fingers uh, of, of age, um, reaches up and kind of gently touches your sleeve and pulls it back to see the metal beneath and then touches that metal. Give me one second. Sorry. I'm looking up a spell. Uh, here we go. Blight. No. <laughs> <laughs> With that touch, you can feel the shakiness. You can feel the kind of the leathery old skin of the fingers, but you also feel this warmth come out of the fingers into your metal body. One thing you did notice when he touches you or she touches you, you can't tell. When they touch you, you can feel um, warmth coming into your body. And what this means is because of what you've done, basically you have a D8 of inspiration that you can hang on to until you need it. Woohoo! Awesome. So it's a bard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, bardic inspiration fades. This does not fade. This is a D8 that you can use at any time, one time. Very cool. Ebby is going to kind of bow his head deeply, and in allele, he will say, Thank you, and Lord Moshe's blessing be upon you. In allele, he responds back, And his blessing upon you, Avatar. And then he turns back around, goes back to his seat, and sits down. And now there are five heads watching you. <laughs> All right. I will, I will leave the grove and see if I can join up with the rest of them. Yeah, perfect. Awesome. All right. You guys all go back to Yastin's house. Um, you, I guess, kind of relax. You guys have a nice meal. There's a lot of like root vegetables and things that he has prepared. Um, there's even some like... Um, some fresh game that he has uh, brought down some kind of uh, fowl, some kind of birds um, that he's cooked up that tastes really, really good. One of them is really big and um, he keeps calling it tuxie for some reason. Oh, you <laughs> jerk. I'm just kidding. I'm so upset. Don't even. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but it's a very nice meal, you know, and, um, and it's very good. And as he, as he puts the food in front of you, he looks you all in the eyes and he says, bone apple tit. <laughs> that's the traditional like mountain clan um god get out of here <laughs> you said that in one of the earlier episodes nari you made it canon you made it canon <laughs> so he says bone apple tit and he gives you this food well i mean honestly you think about it the bone carries the meat the apple is of the earth and then the tit gives you the milk <laughs> exactly Exactly Very beautifully right. put. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the night goes on. You guys can have conversations if you want to. You guys can do some studying in your books if you want to. 
And other than that, or you guys can just get some sleep. I'm trying to remember, did I finish reading my book? No, you did not. Okay, then I have one more chapter. I would like to spend the evening, you know, between contemplation on the the prophecy that we were just present for and then reading the book on the uh, cult of inevitability. Perfect. Everybody else? Jeff has a notepad out or, you know, some papers out, and he's kind of writing his thoughts. He's trying to unpack some of the emotions that he has after the events in Arkelvy. Okay. Nari would also be kind of like flipping through her book, but she's just, she's more stressed out and just like having anxiety over what's going on with her family. So she's not really getting much done, I don't think. Well, you can still make your intelligence check to see how much more um, allele you learn if you want to. And um, Ebby will read some Crystal Codex too. Gotcha. Okay. All right. All right. 16. You're not sure if it's just that you've been spending so much time with Ebby, um, but for some reason, it seems like it's you're picking up more. You know, you've you've thumbed through it a couple times on this trip. This is the first time you've actually kind of really just looked at it since leaving Arkelvy. You actually you feel like you're getting a good grasp of Allele, maybe not speaking it, but you could probably read fairly well at this point. So um, at this point. Basically, with a with a difficulty of 15, if you can do, we'll say, two more successes in, of a uh, of an intelligence check, difficulty 15, um, we'll say that you can become fluent in reading allele. Does that sound good? Sick. Cool. All right. Um, so who wants to read their book first? Pine will go first if uh, nobody else wants to go first. All right, uh, Pine, you pull out this book. This book, uh, let's see, what was it called again? The Cult of Inevitability by Sister Librarian Jem Ordoverum. Okay, this is the third part, the third and final part. Uh, it's the shortest and is admittedly the most, mostly conjecture. Um, Librarian Jem makes some leaps of logic, but readily admits their shortcomings. For example, she hypothesizes that perhaps the angel of inevitability may in fact not be a real being at all. Her thought on this topic is based solely on the angel's apparent inability to stop the free will believers. If you guys recall, um, the, a the followers of the angel of inevitability were trying to make the inevitable happen. And this angel of inevitability was um, powerless to stop whatever plan was put forth um if what will be will be then what happened is what was supposed to happen right philosophically this is a paradox so as such the belief in inevitability had to change as time went on the second theory is that there is an angel of this idea of inevitability but perhaps they have been diminished somehow slain or wounded or maybe held prisoner that may explain why the angel appears to have no real power to give to its acolytes, although admittedly little is known of the current disposition of members of the cult. And a third and final possibility uh, produced by Jem involves the idea that the angel of unity and the angel of inevitability are one and the same, and that the Almerian Empire's push to conquer and elevate Iramil above the lords and ladies is a plot to diminish the other deities' power. This would allow Iramil to finally bring about the inevitable due to little pushback from the lords and ladies. According to this theory, only a select few in the Almerian imperial hierarchy would be aware of the ulterior motives of Iramil, perhaps only the emperor or empress and a select few advisors. Alternatively, the emperor may himself be unaware. Perhaps there is some unseen power directing the empire from the shadows. This last conclusion has the least evidence, but in Jem's words, is the most fun to think about. So there you go.
you have now finished the book. Yeah, I think we, uh, we've we drawn some of the same conclusions. And I'll share that with everybody when I, as I close the book. I'll say, uh, I'll kind of uh, summarize kind of what I read to everybody. Nari's kind of snoozing, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, what? Inevitability? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. <laughs> yeah, I know that word. It's hard to say. <laughs> it's hard to say when you say Almerian, ulterior, inevitability, all in the same sentence. All right. What... What I need from Ebby is I need you to roll a d4 twice. Okie dokie. I got a three and a three. So roll one of those threes again. A three and a four. Three and a four. All right. This is interesting. As you're reading through, you're flipping through the book. Um, uh, this uh, um, Arnium Celadar, um, who you know as Neum, he, uh, he speaks of a shrine to Lord Moshe on the plains of Hosin, where he planted a tree and built a laboratory to continue his research, melding arcana and nature. And as you're reading that sentence, you hear Neum's voice. And what you hear is, there, you see, it worked. She's in there and there she will stay. Then he pauses as if listening for a response. Of course she will. She's probably more committed to this than you and me put together. She'll keep it safe. Trust me and trust her. Again, waiting for the unheard side of the conversation, then, well, you know better than I do, but we can both agree that as of today, the die has been cast. We cannot turn back now. For better or for worse, this is it. A firmness enters his voice. This will work. Today, we have saved Pavantis. Which, Ebby, you've heard that exact same conversation before. In fact, the first time that you heard Neum talking to you after meeting Fallen Heaven, this very same experience came to your mind. And then with your role of a four, you, you're reading along and he occasionally will kind of uh, deride inevitability, calling it a ridiculously simple way of viewing the world, but potentially dangerous. And then you can hear Neam's voice in your brain again. And again, it's not talking to you. It's some kind of a memory and you hear it. Sabotage? How? Two months worth of work gone. Then there's a pause and he comes back calmer. They are like children messing with things they cannot understand. We can make it, but only just. Double security. No one gets anywhere close without the proper protocols. One more mishap like this and we'll be too late. And you are almost done reading the Crystal Codex. Interesting. Okay. I also will kind of relay both what I've read and then the kind of visions or thoughts that have come into my head. So the, the, he called it the plains where the laboratory was, but we know it as the mountains now. That also leads, lends credence to the idea that those mountains were created, maybe as part of this imprisoning the angel of inevitability. I think so. I think that these are starting to kind of all point in that same direction. As this night uh, kind of comes to a close, you guys close up your books. You decide to get some good rest because you have some travel to do tomorrow um, as you head out towards the uh, Stormfist uh, lands. Morning comes. Sun shines in. Uh, Yostin is up and uh, getting dressed. And he informs you that he will be taking you the rest of the way through Tallheart land to make sure you're not accosted by any um, any other tall hearts and uh, take you to the edge of the Stormfist land. So when you're ready, he's ready to take you. 
Well, I don't have anything waiting, so I think I'm ready to go right now. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as Pine is up, he's going to wash up and then head over to the blacksmith to see how things are going. Okay. Uh, You going by yourself? Anybody who wants to come see a blacksmith. (laughs) Or anybody who wants to speak Ustranian. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Nari will also go with (laughs) you. All right. So you walk on over. Um, and the blacksmith uh, is up, and you can see that um, he's got his anvil out, and he's working on arrowheads again. Give up, huh? He he kind of gets uh, startled by you, and he he looks over at you, and he gets a big grin on his face, and then he turns around, um, and he kind of um, reaches into like a into his house, into his like into his shop, and he comes back out with um, a sword in a scabbard, and it looks like your um, like your officer's saber, and he hands it to you. I bow as I as I graciously accept it. I will step back and I will draw it from its uh, from its scabbard and take a look. As you pull this sword out, you can see that it is indeed your officer's saber. It has definitely been cleaned up. Um, some of the nicks and the chips and things have been um, smoothed out. The blade is a mirror finish, and interestingly enough, starting all the way down at the handle um, at the the the, the cup guard in the blade there is a thin band of metal um, of a slightly different color that goes all the way the length of the blade Um, almost like the the epee blade is now literally inside of the saber's blade Um, as you pull it down or pull it out i don't know how you would just know this you you just get the feeling that this this weapon is now better than your weapon was before and um you're going to need some time with it in order to um really get used to it if that makes any sense what i'm saying i need to attune to it yep great i don't have any (laughs) 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 that's the problem with getting cool stuff is that you know you got to attune to a lot of it okay so again, I, I look at him and I say, thank you very much. It is beautiful. And I'll sheath it and I'll put it back on my belt. He, he bows to you as you leave. So Nari, thanks for accompanying me. Thanks for translating and everything. Would you be at all interested? I mean, I know that, that your, your old axe has a lot of sentimental value and you have this new one. Is that something you'd be interested in doing? Combining the two, maybe? You know, that's that's a good idea. I did, you know, she'll kind of pull out her axe and I, I did kind of change over the handle, but it, it doesn't quite feel the same. That that might be quite nice. Yeah. I think, well, I don't know if we wanted to spend another day. I think everybody would understand. Um, it depends on really you and how how eager you are to get home. Or maybe when we're coming back through, we can we can stop by. Yeah, maybe when we're coming back through, I, I, I think now is not the time, but that might be nice. I will definitely hold on to my to my original axe. That is a smith of great skill. I'm going to head back over to the smith. You are an amazing smith. What is your name? And I'll repeat the word name again. Name. You. Name. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> a name i've got a to- totally got a name everybody has a name 
Let's go. Let's see what the name was. I read. I have it written down. Darden. Darden, I will remember you. I will tell tales of your skill. And I'll bow again. And he, and, he, and, he, and he bows back. And he's got a big smile on his face. You can tell that he has definitely very much appreciated working on such fine um, weapons. Yes. That now you have to attune to. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take off my... Oh, what do I want to take off? You can leave your hat on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take the ring of evasion off and I'll go give it back to Abby. He's like, well, I don't need this anymore. Um, but uh, maybe somebody else in the party does. It's yours, so you can divvy it out how you will. Oh, well, that that's fine. Anybody wants a cool ring? Huh? Joff? Yeah, I, I, I'll take I'll take a look at it unless Nari wants it. Go for it. It basically makes you immune to fireballs. <laughs> it does. I mean, wait, wait, wait. wait. Oh, go, wait, wait. You're a rogue. Don't you have something where eventually, even if you fail, you still take half damage? Yeah, I would have gotten that this um, this level up, but I took what well, level of cleric. Oh, so. gosh. Interesting. Yes, that ring would make you totally immune to fireballs. You have your new sword, Pine. You have to figure out what it actually does. But you guys pack up. Uh, Yastin is waiting for you on his uh, Alaton. You get your beekaboos all packed up, your caribou. You hear lots of bork, bork, bork. <laughs> Crumbles is ready to go. And you leave this town of Woodbridge and head north and west towards the Stormfist lands, accompanied by Yastin who promises he will get you there safely. But that'll have to wait till next time because we're going to stop for tonight. Anyway, hope you guys all enjoyed uh, this session tonight. There was some, I mean, this is, there was a lot more um, little secrets revealed than I kind of expected. So that was kind of fun. Um, it's always fun to get like a, a, a revelation or a, or a prophecy or some kind of a, kind of a cool little mystery to help you guys to try to figure out. Anyway, if you like what we're doing, tell a friend. It's, it's fun to have somebody to talk to. It is fun to have somebody to talk to. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I like friends, yeah. If you have a friend, tell them. For all of you who are listening to us, if you have a friend, tell a friend. If you don't have a friend, get a friend. We'll be your friend. Join our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> you can pay us to be your friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and just a quick reminder, we are going to be doing another Q&A here very, very soon. So send us your questions. If you're a patron, send it through Patreon. If you're not, you can email it to us. And if you want to hear the answers to those questions, then join the Patreon. Anyway, hope you guys all have a great time. <laughs>